I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your five at five. Wall Street kicks off a new week, a new month, new quarter, new half of the year after one batch of stocks hits a first time in 40 years achievement. And talk about historic. This morning, Apple becomes the first company ever to begin its trading day with a $3 trillion market cap. But it's grappling with new concerns over plans and projections for the Vision Pro headset. Tesla breaking new records, the stock higher ahead of the open after posting a record quarter of deliveries amid its self-induced EV price war. Phil Lebeau is here to break it all down. Plus, we're looking at some wild weather and a U.S. travel nightmare for some July 4th passengers as one air carrier tries to bounce back from one of its worst weekends ever. And bank stocks get a real boost after clearing the Fed's latest stress test. This is Monday, July 3rd, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Frank Holland this morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P coming off its best day since early June and a fresh one-year high. Right now, we're looking pretty flat on the S&P 500, just slightly in the green, up three points. Dow Jones Industrials down by 20 and the Nasdaq implied opening up 42. Checking the bond market now with the 10-year yield hovering near its highest point since early March. And there you can see the two-year is up almost uh, 4.94% and the 10-year yield at 3.84. In energy, oil down more than 12% this year, two straight negative quarters right now. WTI app is up 0.8% and the uh, Brent is up the same amount as well. Net, looking at gas down almost 2%. Let's get a check this morning on the top corporate stories. And Silvana Hanau is here with us. Silvana, good morning. Hi, Contessa. Good morning to you. All right, let's start. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will travel to Beijing this week to meet with senior Chinese counterparts. A senior White House official says the trip is intended to, quote, deepen and increase the frequency of communication, stabilize the relationship, avoid miscommunication, and expand collaboration where we can. All right, now Tesla says it delivered a record number of vehicles in the second quarter, topping even the most rosy expectations and demonstrating the value of its recent price cuts. The company says it delivered 466,000 cars between April and June. That's up more than 83% from a year ago. Production numbers were even higher at nearly 480,000. Shares are set to extend some already impressive year-to-date gains. And Netflix is looking to develop new targeted and tailor-made advertising formats to win over marketing executives and boost sales in its recently launched ad tier. Reports that the streaming service has already had high-level talks with global ad firms about its new plans, even floating the idea of episodic ad campaigns tied to related shows, Contessa. Uh, we were showing the squid game there. I hear yeah. that the, the international programming might become even yes. more important depending yes. on how long the writer's strike mm-hmm. takes here. So, Silvana, nice to see you. Thank you. Investors are gearing up to kick off a holiday shortened trading week and the start of the second half of an already stellar year for stocks. The S&P 500 has blown through the average year-end price target from some of Wall Street's top strategists, about 4,100, closing at 4,450. Friday, notching its strongest first half of a year since 2019. And the Nasdaq doing one better. It gained more than 31 percent so far this year for its best first half 
since 1983 when it gained nearly 40 percent. But with expectations of more Fed rate hikes on the horizon and questions around when and if a much telegraphed recession will happen, are we already at max capacity for gains for the year? Let's bring in Alan McKnight, CIO at Regions Wealth Management. I mean, I guess the first question is, are we? Have we already seen the best it's going to get this year, Alan? Well, we're certainly at a point where the market is fully rewarding investors for what's, uh, what's already happened. And when you hear some of the numbers that are coming out, whether it be the Tesla numbers this morning or some of the earnings from Q1, people are still feeling pretty good. But the reality is we think it's going to be choppier going through the end of the year because earnings are going to decelerate. We think the economy is slowing down. And it's just going to be harder for companies to print the kind of top line and bottom line numbers that investors have gotten used to in recent quarters. I'm looking at here the, about the small cap stocks, really kind of lagging the large caps last week, but they're keeping pace month to date. What do you think happens? Where does the split come between the large caps and the small caps as we head into the second half? Great question. We've been watching the small caps very closely because they've lagged most of the year, but they're finally starting to get a bit of a tailwind just in recent weeks. And we think that if we can see the rally broaden out, so the S&P is up almost 16%, the Russell 2000, the small cap index is up around 8%. We think we could start to see that gap narrow a little bit through the end of the year. And it would be a great sign for the economy because you'd start to see some of these smaller names benefit uh, from what the large cap names have already experienced over the last really two quarters. Alan, I see that a 25 basis point rate hike is your base case coming this July. What after that? What do you predict the Fed will do? We're going to take the Fed at their word as it relates to being data dependent and a pause after the upcoming what we believe to be a rate hike. Um, obviously, they haven't said explicitly there'll be another hike, but we feel after the most recent uh, conference that it's the most likely scenario. And after that, they really want to watch and see how some of the, the data comes in. So in the coming months and quarters, they're going to be reviewing that data to understand, has inflation finally started to get closer to their 2% target? As we've talked about with our clients for quite some time, inflation took the elevator up and the escalator down, and it's a slow path back down to that 2% target. And we don't think that the Fed is likely to make any material moves other than a 25 basis point um, move until they know more. Let's talk about international opportunities here for a minute. CNBC Pro has analyzed the global stock market and, and uh, come to the conclusion that global stocks have risen more than 12% so far this year, really outperforming uh, the, the recent performance of recent years. Where do you see opportunity and how important is China or strategizing around China? We think China is a linchpin to the overall growth, growth for uh, the economy. And unfortunately, we think that the Eurozone and Japan are going to continue to be weak. We think the data that's been coming out of the Eurozone and the UK with inflation reading higher, with those central banks still behind versus the Federal Reserve, that they have a lot of work to do. And in conjunction with that, when you look at some of the GDP numbers coming out of the Eurozone, such as Germany, it's a struggle. And we think that's going to continue to be a struggle. And on the Chinese side, the most recent data would tell us that they're seeing a slowing they are trying to find a way to get things going again, but they really haven't found the, the silver bullet, if you will, to be able to get that economy back where it was pre-pandemic. And so in that type of environment, we want to be underweight international more broadly because we just don't think that investors are going to be paid to wait it out. 
Alan, it's great to see you. Alan McKnight, appreciate your time this morning. Just a reminder for investors as well that, of course, the markets close early today in anticipation of the July 4th holiday tomorrow. Let's talk about the stock of the year so far. Apple, set to become the first U.S. publicly traded company ever to open with a $3 trillion market cap on a more than 49% gain year to date. The stock is now worth more than the combined market values of names like McDonald's, Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan, Disney, Exxon, Coke, and more. But the second half of 2023, starting off on a sour note, courtesy of a new report from the Financial Times, Arjun Karpal joins me now with more on this. I, I, apparently a real disruption for the plans around the Apple Vision Pro. Yeah, that's right, Contessa. The FT reporting Apple uh, is reportedly cutting its production targets for this new headset, uh, citing uh, people familiar with the matter. The FT says that Apple and Luxshare, which is the contract manufacturer that assembles uh, these ha headsets, are preparing for around 400,000 units of production in 2024. That's the year that Apple plans to release this headset. They also cite sources of other component suppliers with a lower figure, saying that perhaps production could be around 130,000 to 150,000 units uh, in its first year. Now, internally, Apple has reportedly targeted sales of a million units in its first year. So that's clearly a significant uh, downgrade um, from what the company was expecting, even though uh, the device isn't out yet. So why are these cuts taking place? Well, the FT is reporting that this is an incredibly complex device to put together. Some of the components, such as the small screens that are inside uh, the headset, are very difficult to make. They're very difficult to assemble. And Apple is finding it hard to scale the production of this particular device. Now, this could be a potentially big deal because investors have been waiting for Apple to find out what is the next big thing coming out of the Cupertino giant. They haven't had a new product in many years. The Vision Pro is supposed to be that product. And there is a lot of excitement uh, around it going forward and a lot of hype. So some of these issues will be a concern. On the other hand, this is a new product. There are likely to be growing pains with what is a very, very complicated product. And look, investors aren't seeing this to be a device that sells, at least in the first few years, in massive scale, like it's iPhone and Macs and Apple Watches. It's expecting it to do pretty small units at this point. So there's not a huge amount of concern. You're seeing in that a pretty muted pre-market action for Apple. But clearly, if they don't sort these issues out by the time this comes to market, that will be a longer-term concern for investors, Contessa. If there's concern over what some suppliers can do for certain parts, then it affects other suppliers as well. If you're asking for fewer of these headsets, or fewer components from one supplier, it's going to hit the other suppliers too. I thought it was interesting that the FT also mentions that Apple's working with Samsung and LG for perhaps different, right now they have those OLED lenses planning to go in there, but that they might even look at LEDs. It's interesting how they've already started planning phase two of the headset. Yeah, that's right. Look, this is a $3,500 headset, right? This is not a uh, something that the, the regular consumer can necessarily afford or buy or plan to upgrade regularly. So Apple's going to be thinking, how do we make this headset really mass market? How do we scale it to the levels we're seeing with the iPhone? Look, many people have spoken about this technology of mixed reality, which, which incorporates augmented reality and virtual reality as, as the next paradigm of computing, something that people are going to be spending a lot of time with 
doing a lot of tasks on that they may have traditionally done on things like a laptop or a tablet. So clearly it's a big market from a technology point of view if it does uh, take off indeed. So as Apple's looking at this, they are thinking we're, we're going to eventually need to release perhaps several versions of this headset, just like they have the iPhones at different price points as well. And I think that's a similar strategy to what they're going to take if this is to indeed find success on a large, on a large scale, Contessa. Arjun Karpal, thank you for joining us this Monday. Still to come, a tale of two housing markets. Diana Olick breaks down what's in store for real estate in the second half. Plus, call them the unfriendly skies. Travel troubles mount for one major U.S. air carrier. And later, more on tech's historic run and if the sector can climb Wall Street's wall of worry. We have a busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get some uh, perspective on the action in Asia and early trade in Europe. Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom. Hi, Juliana. Contessa, good morning. Well, as for the trade here in Europe, we're continuing the positive run that we saw last week with the gains extending this morning. Every major region in Europe is trading higher, and it's fairly broad-based, as you can see. So uh, the gains being shared across the major regions. Last week, the stock 600 put in about 1.9% worth of gains, uh, pretty much in line with Wall Street, just a touch light. One stock that is underperforming, it's in the UK market, FTSE 100 is trading higher, but AstraZeneca is down sharply this morning, 4 or 5% lower after some lung cancer trial data came through this morning, showing on the one hand positive results in terms of the impact of the drug on the patients in question, but they did observe some fatal events in the trial. Limited details so far, but investors are concerned. As for the Asian trade, we're dealing with a strong handover from Asia. Green across the board, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong up 2%, Nikkei 225 up 1.7, and in the mainland, the Shanghai Composite up 1.3%. Now, interestingly, we got some data out of China, the PMIs, uh, China's factory activity growth slowing in June, according to the Kaishin Manufacturing PMI, but that is driving expectations, driving hopes of more policy support from China. So part of the reason we've seen the China market rally and no doubt part of the reason we're seeing support in Europe as well. Contessa? Juliana, thank you for bringing us that. Undersupplied and overpriced. Two words that best describe the current U.S. housing market. CNBC's Diana Olick has a look at if that will hold true in the second half of 2023. Yeah, much of the data we got in the last few weeks was not just counterintuitive, but downright conflicting. Bottom line, we're now smack in the middle of a tale of two very different housing markets, pre-owned homes versus newly built homes. May sales of newly built homes were up 12 percent month to month and up 20 percent from a year ago. Pre-owned pending sales were down nearly 3% and 22%. Now, I chose pending because they're based on signed contracts, and that's how new sales are counted as well. All right, so why the divide? There's more than twice as much new supply than existing. And even more remarkable, there are now twice as many new homes sold that haven't even been built yet. But on the existing home side, new listings are down 26% from a year ago, and the average home that is for sale is getting at least three offers, and that points to still 
still very strong demand despite higher mortgage rates. They're hovering between 6.5 and 7% on the 30-year fixed, which is more than twice what it was in the first two years of this decade. And that brings us to home prices. For existing homes, they peaked last June and then fell sharply when mortgage rates doubled in a matter of months. They then hit bottom in January and have now been rising for three straight months due to that supply and demand imbalance. New home prices were down in May as builders have been focusing on more affordable homes, not to mention buying down mortgage rates for buyers. And of course, here we are with the all-important spring market officially over. Back to you. Diana, thank you. Ahead on Worldwide Exchange, a regional banking reckoning just isn't standing in the way of the financial stocks. Why some patient investors in that sector are set to see some pretty big gains in the weeks ahead. Happy Monday. Thank you for getting up early. If you're up with us, it might mean that you're working today when so many other people are off because, of course, this is the 4th of July holiday. Summer travel season getting into full swing. In fact, AAA is estimating nearly 51 people, no, 51 million people are flying or driving over the five-day holiday weekend, topping the record set in 2019. 51 people would be remarkable, though. Getting from point A to point B has not come without headaches, though. We've seen a lot of severe storms affecting a wide swath of the country this weekend. New York, Arkansas, and everything in between. Mass flight delays, lots of cancellations. In fact, United CEO Scott Kirby told employees the airline has to make some changes, including flying less at its Newark hub in New Jersey to avoid a repeat of what we saw what a massive disruption there. United is also offering awards of 30,000 frequent flyer miles to customers who were delayed overnight or did not reach their destination on a United flight. Of course, it's just the latest snag for the travel and leisure industry as it continues to recover from the COVID pandemic. Let's talk more about some of the top names in this space with Stephen Grambling, head of U.S. Gaming, Lodging, and Leisure Research at Morgan Stanley. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank All you. All right. So when we're talking about uh, the COVID overhang, a lot of people might think we're just beyond that. But there are certain sectors that, one, have not fully recovered. And on top of that, are you starting to see some impact from rece- recession concerns? Well, well the way I def- I would define the recovery is that we had the plane taking off rapidly. We kind of started to crest out. Now we're hitting a little bit of turbulence, maybe below the surface. And so places like business demand, urban demand, international inbound and outbound, that's all still recovering and that's still strong year over year. So we see high single digit growth there. On the other end of the spectrum, leisure spending, resort spending, luxury spending, that's all now actually down year over year, and we're seeing a little bit of a plateau in that part of the market. So in a lot of these cases, the luxury sector was somewhat protected. We were hearing the commentary saying the high-end hotels, the high-end spaces, it was strong, but you're starting to see softening. Well, I I think it's going to a different place. Mm. So last year, a lot of these high-end consumers were likely going to, I would describe it as the coastal and sunbelt markets, so places like Miami, Sedona, Monterey. Now they're flying to Europe. They're going to Asia. And so those markets are very strong. So Europe, Revpar as an example for lodging, is still running up double digits year over year. Let's talk some names in the space. In hotels, you're seeing sort of a, what, an about phase for some of the hotels? You're 
So the, I think it depends on which hotels you want to look at. So okay. the asset light stocks like Hyatt, Marriott, Hilton, those still have unit growth. Those still have exposure to those markets that are still recovering, international particularly. So we can still see compounding free cash flow growth there. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're a hotel owner in certain markets that have higher exposure like Host or Pebblebrook, you're going to have a tougher time. Okay, so your top pick is Hyatt, and you've raised the price target from 136 to 142. What about in gaming? What, tell, tell me what your top pick is in the gaming space and why. Well, we, we want to focus you on secular growth there. And so I think sports betting is the most exciting part of that market. Sports betting, we think we're going to have 25% growth over the next five years. DraftKings is at the high, is at the, is, is actually been consolidating share. They're clearly the number one or number two player in almost every single state. So we think we're hitting a profit inflection. That's but it's up 100. Its stock is up 133 <laughs> percent year to date. You think there's still more room to grow in spite of the duking it out with points bet? You know, over Trump. Oh my gosh, the the they they were trying to get points bet away from fanatics. Despite all of this, they're going to be hitting a profit inflection in the second quarter. There's a lot of people who still don't believe that's going to happen. We look out a couple of years. This is a stock that's going to be trading less than 10 times EBITDA, whereas the peers trade more like 10 to 12 times. There's also a huge net uh, operating loss or a tax loss carry forward that they can use to shield taxes that people are not giving them credit for. So this is the one to own. Stephen Grambling, great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for having me. Let's get a check on this morning's headlines. NBC's Jessica Layton is in New York with the latest. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Contessa, good morning. Baltimore is searching for answers and suspects after a block party ended in gun violence. Shots were fired just after midnight on Sunday. Two people were killed, an 18-year-old woman and a 20-year-old man. More than two dozen others were injured, and most of them are teenagers. Police say more than one shooter was involved, and they believe shots were fired from at least four different guns. No arrests have been made yet, and officials are asking the public to come forward with any information. As you just talked about, Severe weather is causing a lot of trouble for July 4th celebrations and travel. A NASCAR race and Cubs game were delayed in Chicago. Three or more inches of rain fell in just 90 minutes there, causing flash flooding throughout that city. That severe weather is also impacting the Northeast now. Meanwhile, heat alerts continue from coast to coast across the south. Parts of Arizona are under an excessive heat warning. Highs there could reach over 115 degrees. And thousands of Southern California hotel workers are on strike today. A union representing more than 32,000 workers is demanding stronger workplace protections, also a $5 an hour pay increase, and more access to affordable health care benefits. The strike is impacting 65 hotels. The Hotel Association of Los Angeles says it is actively engaged in good faith collective bargaining here. Contessa, I'll send it back to you. Jessica, thank you for that. Well, forget the dial of destiny. How about a disappointing debut? Why Disney executives may be scratching their heads amid the dispirited send-off for one of its most iconic characters. We'll be right back. 5.30 in the morning in New York, and there is still a lot more ahead on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's on deck. Gearing up for the second half after the NASDAQ notches its best first six months since Ronald Reagan was in the White House. Stocks face a mixed start to the shortened trading week. Tesla firing on all cylinders, posting a record quarter of deliveries. Phil LeBeau standing by to break down the numbers and what it means for the EV price war. And workers at Canada's West Coast ports officially hit the picket line after failing to line up a new labor deal. 
and that creates new hurdles for an already hindered global supply chain. This is Monday, July 3rd, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Frank Holland on this Monday morning. Let's pick up the half hour with a check on the futures as we gear up for a new trading week, month, quarter, new start to the second half of the year. Right now, you can see the S&P 500 hanging in positive territory, implied open up two points. The Dow Jones Industrials uh, futures off by 41 and the Nasdaq down up rather 38. Stocks notching an impressive first half led by the Nasdaq. It was a, the best First six months since 1983, up nearly 32 percent. And not to be left behind, the S&P 500 up nearly 16 percent. That's its best start since 2019. The Dow up 3.8 percent, relatively paltry. Let's talk about bonds now and the yields on the two-year up 4.93 percent. You've got the 10-year up 3.83 percent. And Oil down more than 12 percent this year. It has come off of two straight negative quarters. Right now, WTI is up 1 percent. So is Brent. Nat gas down more than 2 percent. Those watching OPEC plus voluntary output cuts officially going into effect yesterday. Saudi Arabia saying it's one million barrel per day cut will go into August. And then just breaking this hour, Russia says it will cut oil exports by 500,000 barrels per day starting next month. Let's get a check on some of the morning's top corporate stories now with Silvana Hanau. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Contessa, good morning. Several large U.S. banks boosting their dividends after clearing the Federal Reserve's latest stress test. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley announcing they all plan to hike their payouts to investors. Goldman making the largest per share boost, going from 250 per share to 275. Now, Citi, on the other hand, making the smallest, raising its quarterly payout from 51 to 53 cents. Workers at ports along Canada's west coast officially hitting the picket line. The union representing the workers announcing the start of the labor strike this weekend. Now, both sides remain divided over issues, including automation, the use of contract work, and the cost of living for workers. And moviegoers apparently not up for some adventure this weekend. The new Indiana Jones film, that's The Dial of Destiny, pulling in just $60 million at the domestic box office. And that's on the lower end of projections. Now, tacking on the global box office, the fifth and final film in the Indiana Jones franchise pulled in $130 million total on a reported budget of nearly $250 million, Contessa. All right, Silvana Hanau, uh, rough start, I guess, start. for the movie weekend. I'm waiting for it to show up on Disney+. Plus. There, there you go. Yeah. Well, turning to the playbook for the second half of the year, the NASDAQ wraps up its first or its best first half in 40 years. It notched a nearly 32% jump. The rise being fueled by the likes of NVIDIA, up nearly 190% year-to-date. On the big AI boom, Meta also seeing massive gains, up 138%. Other names like Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet, all up between 35 and nearly 55%. But can these high-flying stocks keep soaring? Steve Kovac joins us with more. Steve? 
Hey there, Contessa. Yeah, tech that was the big winner in the first half of the year, driven by AI optimism and a bounce back from last year's dismal run. Take a look at the scorecard. Apple's up about 49% so far this year, hitting that $3 trillion market cap milestone just last week. Meta's up 138% and NVIDIA up an eye-watering 189%. But those incredible runs also made these stocks much more expensive relative to earnings going into the back half of the year. Take a look at the increase in forward P.E. ratios for these names from the beginning of the year through Friday's close. Amazon going from 51 to 74, Microsoft 23 to 32, Alphabet from 17 to 22, and so on. Now, earnings season starting in a couple weeks, putting more pressure on these names to deliver big beats. Some other catalysts to look for through the end of the year for each of these names, too. Apple facing a fall in demand for its products. The iPhone 15 in the fall will really have to wow people to get sales growing again. Also, Microsoft still trying to close that $69 billion deal to buy Activision, but investors largely focused on AI expect to see more product announcements there throughout the year. And Alphabet look out for plans to make money off of its AI tools in search and products like Google Docs. Still way behind Microsoft on that front. And then Meta, Zuckerberg's year of efficiency appeasing investors so far, but still needs to show better monetization of their TikTok competitor reels. And NVIDIA analysts still bullish long-term on the AI chip, darling, though we have seen some selling off in the day sending shares lower the last couple weeks. And we're waiting to hear from the Commerce Department about more restrictions on AI chip exports to China. And finally, let's talk about Amazon, which is trying to stay in the AI conversation, especially with its market leadership in cloud, though not much tangible there yet. Prime Day coming up soon will be a good test of consumer demand, Contessa, ahead of the holidays. Steve Kovac, thank you for bringing us that look ahead. Now let's turn to whether mega cap tech and everything related to AI will continue to lead and dominate the markets in the second half of the year. Sophie Lund-Yates is Senior Equity Analyst at Hargraves Lansdowne. Sophie, good to see you uh, today. So first of all, if you look at the, the burden or the opportunity that tech has been, it's accounted for some 80% of the gains this year so far. So do you think there's a ceiling on that? Hi, good morning. Great to be back. Um, to be to be blunt about it, yes, I do. I do think there is a there is a limit to this to this rally that we're that we're seeing. Um, you know, as much as inflation, um, you know, the big I word, it is moving in the right direction. It's still very much a problem, and I do think that some corners of the market um, potentially are, are remaining a little bit too optimistic about where we're at in terms of the hiking cycle. And we know that if that continues or is more severe than is perhaps being priced in, that is going to have an effect. Um, that said, I'm not just going to be pure doom and gloom here. The major companies that are driving this rally um, do have some very, very strong fundamentals. So it's not just, we're not you know in the realms of complete speculation here. Um, they do have very strong um, fundamentals, as, as I said, but there is certainly a limit to this, this rally, in, in my opinion. We heard Steve Kovac outline some of the headwinds for each of these companies, but let's begin with Apple as it kicks off its $3 trillion market cap morning. Uh, where are the headwinds for Apple that you see? Where's the opportunity? Yeah, sure. Just the phenomenal numbers that we're talking about here, isn't it, really? Um, so Apple, really, and I know that, you know, most most analysts kind of beat this drum where, where Apple is, is concerned. And I'm, I know different in that it simply has one of the most potent brands on the planet. We've seen, although, you know, things haven't been um, as 
bright as, as they have been. They have been seeing a bit of a slowdown in, in demand. Really, realistically, the numbers that we have seen have been incredibly resilient when you consider the price point um, of their products and the fact that we're in the middle of this, this kind of cost of living squeeze with inflation running so high. So that, that potency of the brand, I don't think, is going anywhere. But in terms of challenges in, in the near term, um, for one, the fact that the valuation has reached this $3 trillion level means there's certainly a, a lot to live up to. So we're increasing the risk of ups and downs there. And then also we're seeing some um, production issues potentially with the new headset you know that's 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 um, come out today um, the very complex nature of that product means that there's potentially going to be a little bit of a of a pullback there on what they can deliver but the extent of that is is, is unknown so really I'd say the opportunity remained it's it's phenomenal business model and brand um, but actually the expectations the bar now is potentially almost a little bit too high so I do think we could be looking at a little bit of volatility in the short to medium term. And, and very briefly on Microsoft and Alphabet, yes or no, higher or lower? Um, I think that we're looking at a great deal of strength, particularly where Microsoft is concerned. I think it's phenomenally well well placed. And that rally that we've seen, I do think there's a little bit more momentum left where, where Microsoft is, is concerned. Sophie Lund-Yates, thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks. No tech rally talk is complete without mentioning... Tesla, of course, the stock up more than 110% this year, set to gain a bit more today after reporting another record quarter for vehicle deliveries. There you can see in the early trade up six and a quarter percent, the shares are. Phil LeBeau joins us now with a breakdown. So really a remarkable accomplishment for Tesla, Phil. Uh, Contessa, these numbers were well above the expectations on the street. Even those bullish analysts were saying, okay, we might see it get up to 455, 460. The consensus was for 445,000 vehicles to be delivered. What did Tesla deliver? 466,000, just a little bit over that for the second quarter. That's a 10.2% increase quarter over quarter. And again, the consensus was 445,000. So they were doing well above what the street was expecting. You combine the 440, 466 along with the 422,000 and change in the first quarter, and you're looking at Tesla deliveries. If we take a look at where they are on an annual growth basis, they are at least halfway or just under halfway towards their guidance of delivering 1.8 million vehicles this year. And when you listen to the analysts, when you read their notes this morning, that's what you see time and again. Almost all of them say the same thing, which is much better than expected. Halfway towards meeting the full year delivery guidance. The real question will come in a couple of weeks when the company reports its Q2 financials. What was the average selling price? There's no doubt that the price cuts throughout the spring, we saw them in China, we saw them here in North America, as well as in Europe. How much did that cut into the margins? It certainly helped in terms of stoking sales, Contessa. Now the question will come in a couple of weeks. Okay, how much did that cut into the margins, which are already on the decline relative to where they were a couple of years ago? Do we see them go down dramatically from here? That's what we'll find out when we find out about the average selling price and how much more it declined in the second quarter. That's the next big catalyst, if you will, for the stock. What do we see when they report earnings after the bell on July 19th? Yeah, I'm looking here at the first quarter profitability down to 11.4% from 19.2%. But is the strategy for the company to get, you know, deliver all the vehicles, make the sales, take the hit to profitability now so that you're ensuring that they're in your ecosystem, maybe, you know, taking a page out of Apple's playbook. Sure. That's part of it. That's part of it. And let's be clear here. It's the automotive gross margins. 
You, you were citing a different margin. You're looking at automotive gross margins, which was just over 19%. That's the metric that people will be focused on in the second quarter. Uh, and how much more does that drop down? Does it drop down to 18 17%? Um, and that's going to be the real interesting uh, thing here. There's no doubt that they want people within the Tesla ecosystem. And they are dealing with a brutally competitive market in China, which is driving a lot of the cost cuts over there. And remember, that's the largest EV market in the world. There's also competition and a market that's facing some headwinds here in North America. And and Europe is going to be going through what China is going through right now. So they are noticing the competition, certainly coming in at the lower end or more more cost conscious end of the business. So if you are Tesla, you want two things here. One, you've got the gigafactories cranking out Model 3 and Model Y, which is where you're making the bulk of your profits. And you need to get as many of those deliveries out there and get people into the ecosystem. Once they're in, they tend to stay in. Now the question becomes, how many can you bring into the ecosystem? Phil LeBeau, thank you for getting up early. Appreciate that. Coming up, your morning's global briefing and headlines dominating conversations on trading desks around the world, including, oh, this was a messy weekend of demonstrations in France. In fact, they turned violent. Worldwide Exchange back in just a moment. 13 minutes till the top of the hour. Time now for your global briefing. A check on the headlines that dominate conversations on trading desks around the world. French President Emmanuel Macron and his top minister came together last night to map out the government's response to ongoing violent protests that have swept across the country over the shooting of a teenager. Macron instructed leaders to do everything possible to reestablish order and calm. The grandmother of the teenager is calling for an end to the violence. Meanwhile, Japan launched a new stock index today. The Prime 150 aims to make it easier for investors to identify corporate value within the markets. That index includes names like Sony, Nintendo, Toyota, and several Warren Buffett-backed trading houses. And China's factory activity grew at a slower pace in June. The new private sector survey came on the heels of data last week, showing stumbling growth for the world's second largest economy. Ahead, the one word every investor needs to know today. Plus, stocks looking to keep the strong start to the first half rolling. We tee up the trading day ahead, the potential catalyst for the stocks in the back half of 2023. We'll be right back. And there you're looking at live shots this morning from around the world. Your peak at London, Hong Kong, New York, and Washington, D.C. Welcome back on this Monday morning to Worldwide Exchange. This is what we call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed before the opening bell. Apple reportedly is slashing production targets for its Vision Pro headsets because its key manufacturing partner is struggling with the device's complex design. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will travel to Beijing this week to meet with senior Chinese officials. A senior White House official says the trip is intended to deepen and increase the frequency of communication between the two countries. Thousands of hotel employees in Southern California walked off the job over the weekend, demanding better pay, benefits, and less burdensome workloads. Unite Here, Local 11, which represents everyone from cooks to housekeepers, says the high cost of living in L.A. forces some members to commute several hours to and from work. Oil moving higher this morning. 
And breaking this morning, Russia plans to cut oil exports by 500,000 barrels per day starting next month. The statement came shortly after Saudi Arabia said it will extend its voluntary production cut of 1 million barrels a day through August. You can see WTI up one and a quarter percent and Brent is up about the same. Goldman Sachs reportedly is looking to end its partnership with Apple and already in talks with American Express to take over its Apple credit card operation, one it launched with the tech giant in 2019. And Elon Musk is limiting the number of tweets that users can read to 6,000 posts a day for verified accounts and 600 for non-verified users. Musk says the new changes are temporary and are in place to address extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation. Getting through 6,000 tweets in a day, that's a lot of time on your hands. Gearing up for the holiday shortened trading week ahead, and today we get two pieces of manufacturing data with the PMI and ISM manufacturing data. Tomorrow, markets are closed, of course, for 4th of July. Wednesday, we get the minutes from the Fed's latest policy meeting. Thursday, as we mentioned, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen traveling to China. Friday, the all-important monthly jobs report for June. With all of that, let's get a look at how the shortened trading day is shaping up. Futures right now, not moving too much. You've got the S&P 500 hanging on in the green, implied opening up one, uh, a point and a half, essentially. Dow Jones off by 45, and the NASDAQ futures up by 35. Investors gearing up for the start of the second half after the S&P 500 notched its strongest first half of the year since 2019. The Nasdaq did even better. It gained more than 31% so far this year. Its first half, its best first half since 1983. Michael Farr joins us now. He's the founder and CEO of Farr Miller Washington, as well as the chief market strategist at Hightower Advisors and a CNBC contributor. It is certainly good to see you today, Michael. Thank you for being here. Nice to see you, Contessa. And happy 4th of July. And happy 4th of July. I think a lot of investors, uh, especially retail investors, may be looking at their portfolio and thinking, boy, I've gained a lot so far this year. Should I take a little bit out? Should I put my money on the side? What's your recommendation? Right. Uh, My recommendation is stick to your discipline. You know, this has been a kind of an incredible year where we've had, you know, uh, we've had these seven stocks. Steve uh, Kovac was talking about this earlier uh, on your program. Up 85 percent, seven stocks up 85 percent. They're driving the S&P 500 returns. The majority of the S&P 500 up two to three percent. So not many investors are saying, geez, I'm, my, my S&P portfolio is up 14 and a half percent and probably not the 30-plus percent of the NASDAQ. So what you do is you stick to your discipline, and you don't get swayed by these short-term market fads, the market volatility. A discipline really isn't a discipline if it can get wafted around and battered by these short-term trends. So stick with the discipline. Figure out where real value is, and make sure that you're still on track to meet those long-term goals. I go to your first point, though, and say, well, okay, uh, should I rebalance? Yeah, maybe if you have some of these stocks, you know, NVIDIA up 189 percent, 
uh, and, and should you maybe trim some of those a little bit and redeploy some money? That might make some sense to uh, listen to Contessa this morning. <laughs> OK, so if you're going to deploy some of your money that may have been sitting on the sidelines, if you miss the big run up to where we've been on the Nasdaq or the S&P 500, where would you put the money now, Michael? Uh, you know, I, I think you follow that old advice of saying hit them where they ain't. And remember that funda most mu fundamental rule of investing to buy low and sell high. So let's look at some of those things that might only be up two or three percent where the earnings have been continuing to grow, where market share continues to be solid. And some of those stocks that aren't just running up because they happen to have AI in their name. So, I, I mean, I, I take a look at stocks kind of like Disney or a PNC. As some of the big blue chips that really haven't moved all that much. And I would continue to stay defensive because we continue to have these headwinds from the Fed. Uh, we have some very high stock prices. We have this inverted yield curve. We have this kind of mother of all recessions that just won't happen. But economists are still saying there's tough sledding for the economy coming up. So I like continue to say those good blue chip companies and stay the course. Don't feel like you've missed too much unless your time horizon was six months. Right. Six months, you missed it. But if it's longer term, this is going to work out for you if you stay steady and stay the course. Don't ever bet against America. Greatest country in the world. And on that note, happy Independence Day, Michael Farr, and happy Independence Day to you as well. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.